Thank you so much, Neil. Uh, I'm Paul Schwepp. I'm one of the elders here at Sunset. Jim, our, our normal uh, pulpit minister, is preaching this morning uh, in Coral Springs and in Pompano Beach. So he's working as an itinerant preacher uh, today. And he does that when he's here because he travels from one auditorium to the other. We've been working our way through the book of Mark. Uh, our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 1, if you want to be turning there. Last week, Jim covered the end of Mark chapter 4, which is Jesus' calming of the storm. You recall the disciples asked, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And Jim talked about how he is still calming the storms in our lives today. At the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus was on the move. Uh, He was crossing the Sea of Galilee on his way to the east side, the Gentile side. He will encounter pigs. Uh, He'll encounter guys that lived in tombs, all of which would have been against Jewish law. And like so much of Jesus' ministry, it's in the interruptions that the ministry happens. The storm in Mark chapter 4, the demoniac that he sees now, today's reading in chapter 5, and at the end of chapter 5, a little girl that passes and then a healing that happens on his way uh, to heal the little girl. But, but that's next week. So let's, let's turn uh, to the text, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So he was a cutter. Uh, We learn later in the passage that this fellow was actually nude, and he lived in tombs, which again would have been against Jewish law. You can just sort of imagine the stench. And then he has this superhuman strength where he can't even be chained down. Uh, Continuing, when when he saw Jesus from a distance, this is in verse 6, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, Son of the God Most High, Jesus, swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? Just just notice, and let's try and keep straight the chronology. Uh, At the end of verse 8, it says, For Jesus had said to him, it's, the English teachers will tell me, but I believe it's past perfect tense. So at some specific time in the past, Jesus had said, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now, having heard that, that's the evil spirit. The man comes racing towards Jesus, saying, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So that's the action that happens. Uh, that's the, the sequence in which the action happens. And you might ask yourself, whether at this stage the disciples were sort of wondering whether, you know, traveling with Jesus was such a good idea or not. You know, they'd encountered a storm. Now they get across the lake and here they have this lunatic, this crazed man come racing, running towards them. It's just insane. And then it, it, it gets even weirder. 
Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is verse 9. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding nearby on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Uh, the, the director, Knight Shyamalan, came out with a movie in 2016 called Split. If you've seen that movie, it's bizarre. And in the, in the, it's, a, it's a psychological horror movie. And the lead character suffers from this severe personality disorder where he has 23 different personalities living in one body. And one of those was a psychotic killer with human, superhuman strength. So, and it went by the, the nickname The Beast. It's a very disturbing movie. But watching that movie feels like you're seeing the character that Jesus is in char- encountering uh, here in Gerasene. And notice, by the way, Jesus doesn't drown the pigs. The pigs were suicidal. The demons went into the pigs and then the, the pigs ran off. Okay, now picking up in verse uh, 14. Those, pen, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So uh, ask yourself, what were they afraid of? You know, they had been living with this crazed lunatic they couldn't contain with chains, and now they're afraid when they see him sitting there in his right mind. And why did they want Jesus to leave? Okay, and finishing up, this is in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So let's let's just let's just uh, set the stage here a little bit. This is a map. It may be a little hard to see. Uh, here is the Sea of Galilee. The, you can see right here it says Decapolis. So Jesus has crossed from what would be the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east side of the sea, and Gerasenes is probably somewhere down along in here. Uh, this is from my bike trip. Uh, to Israel in 2014, we we uh, we actually we we climbed Mount Hermon, which is up here. It's about 9,000 feet. That was an exciting bike ride, and then we we came down on the east side uh, and came up to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and and that is what it looked like. So you see, is that's kind of on the north side, so it had a little embankment. And as we as we went further along down the east side, there were some guys fishing there. You can you can see off in the in the distance, uh, a fishing boat 
uh, out there. This is where Jesus was at the time that this occurred, east side of the Sea of Galilee. It's now under Israeli control. It has been since the Six-Day War in 1967, had been part of Syria. Uh, now it's, uh, it's controlled by the Israeli military. Uh, and that is exactly where Jesus was when all this occurred. So what do we make of the miracle of the healing of the demon-possessed man? Let me just make three, three points. The first is this. Notice that Jesus finds and reaches us exactly where we are, even in our brokenness. At the end of chapter 4, when the storm is calm, the disciples are terrified. That storm is, is, is dealt with by Jesus, and now they're immediately confronted by this crazed, dirty, screaming outcast coming running to meet, him, to meet them. And notice that just in crossing the very lake, Jesus is crossing boundaries. He's crossing geographical boundaries. He's crossing ethnic boundaries. He's crossing religious boundaries. He's entering foreign territory to the other side of the religious tracks, to the Gentiles. One commentator wrote, Nothing in this scene is kosher. Everything is unclean. The evil spirit, the tombs, the pigs, the very territory. But just like earlier when Jesus reaches out to touch the leper, he crosses boundaries, even risking contamination for the life of this one man. Lots of people are afraid, but Jesus is never disturbed. He's never anxious. He's never afraid in the slightest. These are exactly the folks he has been trying to reach, the outcasts, the desperate, the disenfranchised, the powerless, the down and out. Those society has written off, not so much the people that have it all figured out, but rather the people whose lives are badly broken. That is us. And notice also that it's this crazed demoniac, the demon-possessed man, who answers exactly and correctly the question that the disciples couldn't figure out. The disciples said, who is this? The demoniac says, Jesus, son of the most high God. He got it. This naked, homeless, foreign outsider, he's the one who recognizes Jesus for exactly who he is, and Jesus saves him. So if, if there's one point to take away from this lesson, it's just this. We have a God who is in the business of saving the unsavable. He is pursuing people the world has cast aside. He is pursuing us. And he pursues us even in our real, serious, and profound failings. He meets us in our brokenness to bring healing, wholeness, and restoration. He isn't calling us when we're perfect and have it all together. He's reaching for us when we're broken. For when I am weak, then I am strong, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. And he added that Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul understood his weakness, but Jesus said, my grace is enough. That's it. That's what you need. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Sometimes we get that turned around. We turn the message of the gospel into a message of judgment and condemnation. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to bring us his grace. Thinking about this crazed demoniac's transformation, I was reminded in 1997, Sunset sponsored a trip to Negril, Jamaica. Our, our minister at the time was a guy named Ansel J- Jenkins. And, and we had like an old revivalist tent meeting. I mean, we literally set up a tent on the river that came out there uh, in Negril. And every evening, uh, Ansel Jenkins did a gospel meeting. He would preach. And during the days, we would like canvas neighborhoods and invite people to come. And one afternoon, this guy shows up. Uh, that, uh, well, you could smell him before you saw him. And, you know, it's just the, the, the long matted hair and this nasty looking beard. And, you know, the jeans were ripped and cut up. And he was wearing like this nasty looking tank top, uh, shirt. And I remember him flipping a bucket over and sitting on the bucket and Ansel just talking to this guy for a long time. Later I heard that afternoon the guy was baptized. That night at our gospel meeting, there's this fellow sitting on the front row listening to Ansel preaching. And I asked somebody, now, who is that? And they said, that's the guy that came by this afternoon. He had gone to the barber. He had gotten a haircut. He had shaved. He had gotten a clean pair of pants. He had on a different shirt. There was a total transformation. He looked completely different. I could not believe it was the same guy. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, how different... Is it for me? Right? There's a transformation that's going on. It's not done, but there's a transformation that's occurring. Uh, you may recall the old kid's song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. A loving and patient he must be, for he's still working on me. No one knows that? (laughs) We all have our demons, and Christ comes to cast them out of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In Romans 12, verse 2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God meets us with his grace and his mercy in our failings and in our shortcomings and calls us to transformation, to healing, no matter how far we've gone from him. Okay, and then the second point. There's a cost to the healing. You might think that in this town they would have been delighted that this crazed man that they couldn't contain with chains was healed. But that wasn't it at all. They were afraid. They asked Jesus to leave. Well, for one, they'd lost 2,000 head of, of, uh, of uh, their pigs. Notice there's a marked change in, in how people are reacting to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 33 The whole town came out to watch him heal people. In Luke 4, verse 42, they literally tried to restrain Jesus from from leaving the town because he had been healing people. But it's one thing to have a miracle worker you can control, and it's another to confront someone who's really changing the status quo. And by now they were afraid and they asked him to go. What were they afraid of? One commentary noted, the Gerasene people 
are not praising God that a man is healed. They're counting the cost and they find it too much. What we see in this miracle is that the encounter with Jesus may lead to change, but that change comes at a cost. Life may be different. Mark 8, verse 34, he called the crowd and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Life will never be the same. Uh, the minister at Plymouth Congregational Church, Al Bunnis, I've gotten to know Al a little bit. He's on his second career. Al was a partner uh, at uh, the Manhattan brokerage firm Goldman Sachs. Very successful, uh, very lucrative position. He was making a lot of money, living in Manhattan, succeeding in every way in his career, and he was miserable. Uh, and his one refuge was his involvement at a church that he attended in Brooklyn, and he uh, spent more time working with this church. And one day he uh, visited with the minister there and said, look, I'm, I'm miserable at work. I'm happiest when I'm working here at this church. And I'm wondering if uh, maybe I'm not getting a call to do something different with my life. And the minister said to him, look, I have been praying that you would see this. I already have. And uh, so he started seminary, and he's now on his second career working as a minister for Plymouth Congregational Church. There was a change in his life. It didn't happen overnight. It was a process, the, the result of a relationship that led to a transformation. As for this little town, they'd grown accustomed to a demon-possessed, naked, homeless chain guy. That was their normal. And sometimes it's com- more comfortable to hold on to what we know and, and may even fear, but it's, it's, a, it's uh, something we're used to, than to embrace a new reality. For this guy, freedom, there's a commentator that wrote, it was easier for them to accept the presence of a crazy person living outside the boundaries of town than a heel man walking among them who by his presence confronted them with the reality of God's transforming power. They feared the unrecognizable calm because they'd grown accustomed to the chaos. The man had been made new, but not everyone can handle change. There's a cost to God's healing. A relationship with the Lord means life changes, and that can be hard if you prefer things to stay the same. Not everyone wants to change or be changed, but everyone needs to be healed. It can be costly. A decision to follow Christ starts a journey of change, a relationship of transformation. And that's one with many false starts and lots of reversals and ups and downs. But the outcome is certain. The final battle has been won. His grace is sufficient. Okay, and then finally, Jesus' interaction with the demoniac you know, begins with the guy begging, don't torment me. And it ends with him begging, please let me come with you guys. And Jesus gave him a mission. He gave him a task. He was not, Jesus was not going to be satisfied with the guy just sitting at Jesus' feet. He says, no, you, I'm calling you to activism, to action, just as he does each one of us. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. That's the only story we really have. That's the only story we can own. It's our own. Sometimes in churches we talk about witnessing. That's like a legal term, right, to, to be a witness. To testify, if you're going to testify in court, you have to have personal knowledge. If you don't have personal knowledge, a judge won't let you talk about things. 
that you haven't observed, that you didn't see with your own eyes. I wasn't at the virgin birth. I wasn't at the resurrection. My only witness, our only witness, is what God's done in our lives and how he's shown us mercy. Sometimes we think, we, we convince ourselves that if we could just, with like geometric logic, prove the truth of what we believe, that would persuade other people. But, but that approach isn't just inauthentic. It also kind of can be annoying. What's persuasive is the story of the difference that my relationship with God has made in my life and how he has shown me mercy, unmerited favor. That's our story. It's our truth. It's what's authentic. It's the only story we can really own. And that's the story that we're all called to share, just as this man was. So, in conclusion, a demon-possessed man turns into a disciple. And that means there's hope for every one of us. God's calling us even in our brokenness. It may mean our lives move in a direction we could never have anticipated. I was thinking about Sam Cooke, uh, right? A change is going to come. God has done so much more for us than we could have imagined. And he desires more for us than a life shackled to our demons. So cast off the chains, come to him who saves, stay in relationship with him, and let him lead you on a journey of love, of mercy, of grace. If you're subject to the invitation this morning, come while we stand and sing.